Hey friends, I am in Texas again. Still, actually, as of the recording of this episode of the podcast, I want to continue today building on the idea that I talked about last episode, uh, which was soul memory works like muscle memory. Uh, That was kind of the gist of it. And so in the same way that you and I can get these default patterns to where, uh, you know, our, our muscles just work in such a way, you know, the lift becomes easier uh, when we're uh, doing weights or exercise, the uh, using the tools or uh, typing on a keyboard or the basketball shot or you know, whatever it is that you do, you're sewing or riding a bike or swimming or doing the dive or the golf or the anything, goodness, you know about muscle memory and how tying a shoe, you don't even think about it. You, you just do it. Well, the soul somehow works in the exact same way. And for so many things, that's great, <laughs> you know, but, but also if we're living out of uh, memories, or pains, or let's say it how we determined it last week in that episode, living out of hidden rules that are dysfunctional rather than functional, hidden rules that are foes of ours rather than friends, hidden rules that harm us from making helpful progress rather than helping us walk into our purpose, oh, we got to rewrite those rules. Now, today I want to take that conversation a little bit farther. I want to direct you into the show notes before I go. Two things there for you. I won't talk a lot about them, but number one is the Best of Soul Wholeness audio. Uh, That is an audio book. I've pulled really kind of the essence of the Soul Wholeness full, robust, 24, 25 chapter book down there to just give you the essentials of the three kinds of soul wounds that we all face. All, all of us, in some version, face uh, triggers from the past, guilt and shame in the present, and soul ties. That's when our uh, heart is attached to the wrong things or it's attached to the right things in the wrong way. That resource is there for you as well. Some of what I'm going to discuss today is derived from a longer training that I have in the Healing Workshop. The Healing Workshop is a seven-video course Uh, Actually, it's 14 videos because there's seven lessons and there are two versions of it, live and studio. And if you want that resource, uh, you can take advantage of that. I believe it's like 70% off right now and there's a link below. And when when you purchase it, it just gives you both options. Like it's not, oh, do you want this one or that one? It's, it's, you get them both. And so that's a great resource for you if you want to learn more about uh, studying this concept uh, that I'm going to talk about today about the body keeping the score. Or I almost titled it like this How to be healed of something almost 100% of the time. Because I, I didn't want to necessarily over promise it. Uh, let me get right into it. Here's the background. A few years ago, I began studying healing. Uh, now, by healing, I mean the supernatural kind, miracles, and the natural kind. Health, fitness, lifestyle. I did not separate those two. Uh, in one of the books down that's connected to, attached to that healing workshop, 
I really describe those in more detail and talk about how those two are not at odds with one another. They both work together. We see both of them in the scripture. We see Jesus do both. We see him send disciples out to do both. We see Paul do both. We see Luke, who is the man who writes the most about the Holy Spirit uh, in the book of Luke and Acts, the most prolific author of the New Testament. Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more pages uh, and wrote more about the Holy Spirit than any other author, was also a medical doctor. And he talks about both. And so, you know, with his, you know, his medical, if it's a health lifestyle choice, something somebody did, he's going to be very honest about it. He's going to go, oh, here's what they did. If it is supernatural, well, he, he says, oh, this is what occurred here as well. All of that information is in that healing workshop below and in the book that's attached to that. So again, it's 70% off. If you want to explore that more, grab hold of that. For the purposes of our discussion here today, I want to share with you something I learned about the miracle kind of healing. Uh, now, here it is. I, I learned that many times. If someone approached me for prayer for a physical healing when I was speaking in an event, so it might be a church conference, a workshop, it could be another venue, it, it could even be a vendor hall where we're just selling our books and somebody would come over, they've listened to the podcast, they know that I will pray for them and say, hey, can you, can you pray for me? Absolutely. There is a single action that I learned, I didn't discover this, uh, learned this from someone else. A single action facilitated instant healing for about 90% of the people who approached me. Now, I'm going to teach it to you today in this episode. Before I teach you that, let me make a few clarifying statements. First statement is this. Never blame the person who has the illness or disease if healing does not happen. I have seen more than a few pastors and evangelists and church leaders do this. And not only is it cruel when somebody says, well, it's, it's your fault. God didn't heal you. You never find precedent for that in the scripture. So throughout the New Testament, Jesus never blamed anyone for any illness or disease. He never looked at them and said, well, you don't have enough faith for this to happen. If only you believe more, God could move. But he's restrained by your lack of belief. Or he never said, uh, you're holding on to some secret sin. If you'll repent and let that thing go and then come back to God, he can touch you and break through in this area. When we look in the Bible, we see Jesus heal people who had great faith, uh, such as, you know, the centurion who said, hey, my servant is ill. You don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. And Jesus said, oh, goodness, I've never seen this magnitude of faith in all of Israel. You know, we seem heal people based on great faith. The Syrophoenician woman who says, you know, heal my daughter. You know, please, you, you can do this. Uh, the woman with the flow of blood who meanders through the crowd and says, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. She doesn't even ask him for healing. She just touches and just exercises faith. We certainly see that happen. We also see Jesus heal people who don't have faith. You know, there's a lame man at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus looks at him and says, well, why are you here? How long have you been here? He's been there almost 40 years. 
And Jesus asked him, why are you still here? And he says, well, somebody always jumps in the water when an angel stirs the water. They believe that when the waters moved, an angel had stirred them and the first person in would be made well. Well, I mean, apparently it happened because people kept gathering around this pool. Well, Jesus just looks at him. The man's making excuses. And Jesus says, you're well. Take up this mat and walk. There are multiple instances throughout the New Testament like that one where he heals someone who doesn't have faith. Uh, you see even a mix of faith when he comes down the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it's in Mark 9. And there's a boy there, a son. A demon is throwing him into the fire. And the father says, Lord, please heal him. I, I tried to get your disciples to do it, but they couldn't. And Jesus says, if only you believe, and the man says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And you think, what? Well, that's it's just honest. It's I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm in the middle. And Jesus instantly heals the man's son. You see him heal people. I've already kind of alluded to this. Heal people based on other people's faith. So in Mark 2, there's this example of these friends who chop through the roof, cut through the roof, pull off the roof of a house where Jesus is inside teaching. They can't get there through the doors because of the crowd. And they just lower the paralyzed friend down with ropes right in front of Jesus while he's giving this spontaneous sermon to this crowd. The scripture says very clearly when he looked up and saw their faith, the friend's faith, he said to the man, be healed. Okay, so we never blame people when there's a lack of faith. Uh, we see him heal people who are sick, and we see him forgive them at the same time. So sin doesn't even hold this up. I mean, even that paralyzed man, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven first, and then he healed them. The man didn't even ask. Jesus just said on both counts, your sins are forgiven and you're healed. Okay, this implies to me, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's not constrained by a theological box that we set in place or that someone artificially created in order to help us wrap our minds around all of this. And, and I get it. Like we really want to understand. Sometimes, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes there's just so much more going on. Here's the second thing that I do. Okay, and again, kind of the first one was never blame the person. Second, I don't ever blame God either. You would be surprised how many people say things like, God chose me for this illness, or God gave me cancer, or God gave me fill in the blank of what it is. Now, again, not going back to the first rule, don't blame people. That's the first guideline. But here, think about it logically. If God gave the person, uh, let's just fill in the blank. If he gave them the, let's just say, God gave me the broken arm. Just for an example, because nobody's ever used that one. 
Or, or let's just use the example. God gave me cancer. Why, if God gave it to us, would we pray for healing? Why, if God gave it to us, would we seek medical attention? Is that not working against the very thing that he gave us? Like if it's God's will for us to have it, why change it? You see, like just when you logically think through it, you go, oh, okay, maybe there's something more happening here. Now, by, by all means, can God use all situations for our growth um, and accomplish so much through even those tough circumstances? Absolutely, but that doesn't mean that he caused the situation. That doesn't mean that he brought it about. Um, the scripture never tells us that God causes illness or disease, but we do see Jesus healing. And, and I know like right now I'm thinking about it, like somebody will pull some obscure thing out of the Old Testament when God gave a king leprosy or something of that nature to teach him a lesson. Okay, you know, and I get it. Jesus is your model. Jesus never walked in and never caused an illness. One day the Pharisees, they were confused. This is the power that Jesus carried that enabled him to cast out demons. And they argued this. He cast out demons by the power of Satan. Well, Jesus confronted them with the logic of their assertion. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. And then he continued. A kingdom divided against itself will simply fall apart. So apply the same logic to illness, to sickness, to disease. If God causes it, it doesn't make sense that we would then invite God to fight against himself and uncause it. Okay, you see it? So that, that, those are our first two guidelines. Number one, we don't blame the person. Number two, we don't blame God. Okay, now that aside, let me tell you the thing the action that I learned. Uh, I did not discover this on my own. I'm not actually sure who I learned it from. I, I think it was probably a conglomeration of hearing and seeing the same concept and practice from several pastors and other faith leaders around the same season of life. And uh, to be honest, it was somewhat awkward for me the first few times I implemented this as a practice precisely because of that first guideline I mentioned above about not blaming the person uh, for the sickness or illness or disease. Okay, so disclaimers. All of that aside, here it is. I found that if I asked the person requesting prayer for healing, a simple question, the answer to that question often held the key to unlocking the door to greater health. Here's the question. Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Now, without blaming, without saying anything, just that simple question. Is there anyone that you need to forgive? So somebody comes up, says, yes, I need prayer for this. You know, I've got this thing going on with my back. It's just out of whack. I've got, the, okay, I'm gonna pray for you. Before I begin, is there anyone you need to forgive? Uh, many times a person instantly has a name. Uh, sometimes 
it's a it's a big big thing they need to forgive the person for uh, that that is the perpetrator marked them in an obvious colossal way at other times it was something so small that the person to whom I was speaking almost apologetically said something like yeah I, I do this is odd like they they did and they'll fill in the blank of something that seems so trivial I can't believe I've never let go of it and then they'll say something like it, it sounds so silly that I'm saying it out loud but I've been holding on to that little thing. Now, when those small instances came up, I always told them, well, even if it seems small right now, it must have been significant to you then because you held on to it. If you want to forgive them and release it, we can do that right now. Uh, And most of the time, they did instantly. Oh, yeah, yes, I need to let this go. When the bigger issues were shared, I always asked if they were ready to forgive that person. And sometimes I had to understandably provide a few moments for them to really consider it, to think about, do I forgive this offense? Now that said, let's define what forgiveness is. And let's do so by highlighting what forgiveness is not, first of all. Okay, so uh, maybe five observations here. Forgiveness, number one, is not agreeing that what the person did was right. In fact, by its very nature, forgiveness is a declaration that what they did was wrong. We only forgive wrongs, transgressions, sins, We do not forgive neutral actions. So forgiveness is not agreeing that what the person did was right. When we forgive it, we are emphatically saying this was wrong. Number two, forgiveness is not saying the action did not hurt you or did not cause you to suffer. In fact, forgiveness generally denotes that the transgression, that was point number one, cost the offended party something. It might have been physical harm, emotional distress, financial loss, or even a relational break. Forgiveness, again, point number one is not saying it was right. It declares by the very nature of forgiveness, it says that was wrong. And at number two, it does declare goodness. Something about that really stung and cost me usually in a significant way. Number three, forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Uh, When forgiveness comes into play and physical harm or danger might be the result of a restored relationship, such as in the cases of rape or abuse, reconciliation might not be the best course moving forward. Okay, forgiveness is not reconciliation and restoration of the relationship. Now, let me put a footnote right here. We have a lot of armchair psychologists, kind of like they have armchair quarterbacks, you know, that on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, tell the coach how he should have done it. Or We've got the same thing in our culture. You got all these people, like a hot word right now is boundaries, and boundary this and boundary that. And there is a beautiful place 
for boundaries, but boundaries actually make relationships whole. Uh, boundaries don't destroy relationships. And so when you're talking about boundaries in such a way that they disintegrate relationships, if that's what you're doing or the person that you're reading or writing about or thinking with, like in that lane, you've probably got it wrong. Let the Bible be your grid for what a restored relationship looks like when forgiveness happens, not somebody else's story. And again, you got to use wisdom. It might not always be reconciliation, but make sure you're not just jumping on some cultural whim. Number four, forgiveness is not a simple, I'm going to wave a magic wand such that everything that happened is now water under the bridge. Uh, many times, especially when there is a larger transgression, people have got to work together to move forward. You might even need professional help. Now, you don't have to wait until you get the professional help, until you've resolved everything in your mind, in your heart, and your soul in order to forgive a person. You can let forgiveness be the entry point towards getting all that help. And in fact, I think that forgiveness will send you light years ahead if you start from the place of forgiveness, not start from the place, I'm gonna do every other thing that I can professionally, and then I'll get to the place of, no, I don't start there at the other things. Start at the forgiveness. Uh, the fifth observation is this, and ho hopefully these are helpful. Forgiveness is not an erasure of the natural consequences of a person's actions. So if the person stole, they might still go to jail, even if they're forgiven. If they drove drunk, they might cause physical harm and break something or harm a person uh, even if they're forgiven. If the man or even the woman, as many women cheat on men as men on women, had an affair, they might create multiple relational rifts. They might be forgiven, but the answer might not be, like go back up to point number three, observation three, it might not always end in reconciliation. It might, it might not. You've, you've got to work through that with some wisdom, with scripture, with godly counsel, with people who can speak into your life and correct you, not just people who tell you what you want to hear, but people who have the ability to tell you what you need to hear. Uh, and, and, and all of this is really why I'd say you got to set up a support system in life before you need it so that there's relational trust there. Okay, all that said, five observations. Let's talk about what forgiveness actually is. Forgiveness is a declaration that three things. I will not hold the past sin against you. Number two, I will view you in light of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Number three, I will treat you in the same way Jesus has treated me because he has restored me from my sinful ways and forgiven me. Now, that final one is important. When it comes to looking and forgiving others, so often we forget that in the moment we're needing to let them go, let them off the hook, let them not owe us a debt. There are others who have let us off the hook to whom we owed a debt. Uh, this final point 
It is the one that the New Testament authors continually look to as evidence that we've encountered grace. Um, That's why Paul says in Ephesians, forgiving others in the same way Christ is forgiving you. We, We see this in the book of Colossians, forgiving others in the way that God in Christ forgave you. Quite simply this, those who have received grace readily gift it to others because they see how desperately they've needed it and still need it. Those who refuse to offer grace, well, let's just be straight up. They're usually pridefully arrogant and see no such past or present imperfections in their own behaviors As a result, they hold people to a false standard which they wrongly believe to be right about themselves. I'm perfect, therefore you should be perfect as well. Or here's what I've seen. A lot of times people that won't forgive other people, they're holding you to a standard that they've actually failed in and they're hiding they haven't yet dealt with. Oh, There. Sometimes that's it. So here's why all of this matters. When we forgive, something happens in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm. Now, we're equated with this idea that something happens in the spiritual realm when we forgive. So let me talk about the second. Let me talk about the physical realm. This relates to our bodies. It turns out that when things happen to us, our bodies never forget anything, ever. You might not remember it in your mind. Uh, You might suppress it in your mind. You might shuffle it to the background in your mind, but your body never forgets. Now, there's a small part of your, I call it your inner brain, your amygdala, It plays first fiddle to the limbic system. Uh, In his book, Healing Oils of the Bible, Dr. David Stewart suggests that, here's a quote, the limbic system manages your storage for all of your emotional experiences. Now, here's what that means. Whereas the outer brain, that's kind of in quotes here, kind of my idea is going, because I know the brain's kind of more complex than just outer, inner, left, right. Okay, so in the outer brain, the neocortex, uh, when... It's rich in logic and words. Let's say it like that. But your limbic brain has no capacity for words. I mean, technically, it it receives communication from words, especially songs, where there's a melody and everything and mood behind it. But that limbic brain can't send communication in words. It doesn't formulate things in words. It receives, it doesn't send. It has difficulty verbalizing and articulating what's happening inside of you. Uh, This is the reason why it's difficult to communicate your deepest reasons for doing something, especially when you just feel something and intuitively know deep in your gut that it's what you should do. Uh, This is why you may feel like you're not explaining yourself well when you try to discuss the reason you feel passionate about something with someone else. It's why outlining your dream, it supercharges you, yet you feel it falls flat when you try to describe it to a group of friends. It's why it's hard to uh, re-explain or discuss a supernatural or emotional encounter that you've had to others, even though it was authentic. It's why you just finally exclaim, oh, I guess you just had to be there. Now, the neocortex, the outer brain, it provides logic and reasoning 
It even empowers you to create strategies and chart progress towards your goals. It is rich in words. Again, the limbic brain, the neocortex, rich in words, the amygdala, the limbic brain, the inner core, it's not anti-logic. It's just, say it this way, more than logic. And the limbic brain is the deepest part of you. It thrives in the emotive world of feelings. Again, let me emphasize, it's not anti-logic, it's more than logic. And this is, according to David Stewart and others, the limbic system manages your storage for all of your emotional experiences. Now, as it relates to the need to forgive others, uh, Dr. Stewart reminds us that the limbic system files all of our emotional experiences, the good ones and the bad ones. Most of these are repressed, meaning they don't live at the forefront of the neocortex. So your, your logical brain up the forefront, you think about it, it can't just keep everything on the desktop of the computer of your brain. You may be the person that has, you know, a hundred little shortcuts on the desktop of your laptop, like on the, the screen there. I, I can't do that. <laughs> like I got to get rid of some of this stuff because it gets so cluttered. Well, your neocortex is the same way. It starts filing stuff and moving it. You can pull it back at some point. But goodness, I mean, think about if you had to shuffle through everything you've ever encountered, even just all the good stuff on any given day at any given moment, oh, you, you couldn't do it. But since the limbic brain connects readily to sounds and smells, uh, that is to memories tied to our emotions, encountering certain sounds and smells in the present instantly transports us to the past. Uh, sometimes it awakens something pleasant to us. Uh, for instance, uh, good memory. The sound of marching bands in the fall reminds me of my late elementary, junior high, and high school years, about a six-year period. It was a great chapter of my life. I, I get it. It wasn't perfect, but I lived about 200 yards from my school, and those sounds instantly take me back to that sacred space. If I walk into a coffee shop and smell the right aromas, instantly my brain will go into, okay, let's get creative and start thinking. Why? Because I spend so many hours writing and thinking and plotting progress towards goals and coffee shops. Now, those smells take me there. You probably have your own list after seeing some of mine. Uh, sometimes these sounds or smells can take us to an unhealthy or unpleasant space though. Uh, one day, one of my friends who flew helicopters during Operation Desert Storm, he came to my house. We were in the process of talking and I handled him a bottle of lavender essential oil. Uh, he was saying he was having difficulty sleeping. So I tossed him the lavender. I said, hey, smell this at night. You can just take it, put it on the soles of your feet, put it on your temples, put it maybe behind your ears, and it will instantly set you to a place of calm. Uh, after that, he, he agreed. He was like, yeah, that's great. I, I like that. That sounds pleasant. And so I handed him a bottle of my favorite oil, frankincense. As he did with the lavender, he unscrewed it, held it up to his nostrils, instantly takes this deep breath, and then just pushes it away, and his eyes begin watering. Now, now it wasn't violent. It was just kind of this smooth but quick, you know, move it. And then tears. 
I just paused for a second. His face was flush. Are you okay? I just waited. After a long 10 to 15 second silence, he looked up and he offered, he, he, I, I am, I'm, I'm sorry. That smell took me back to some places. I had to go when I was in Saudi Arabia. I just needed to collect myself and realize I'm safe. I'm here, not there. No one is going to do anything. Now, in that moment, I saw the reality that the limbic system also takes us to spaces we don't want to go. It recalls repressed memories that, that are not pleasant. Now, you might not have had an experience as charged as the one my military friend had, but you may have experienced the limbic system recalling harmful memories. Perhaps you've heard a song on the radio begin to play and you've instantly reached to change the channel because though you weren't thinking about it, that song was tied to a time and place you'd rather not go back to. Or you've smelled a food, a weather pattern, a perfume, or some other aroma and found yourself triggered, that is, transported your emotions and feelings and mind firing off in a different direction than where you are now to something that you need to put out of your mind. David Stewart writes this, repressed emotions are unfinished business. They highlight pages in the past that continue altering our story in the present. Now he continues because he's going to explain how this relates to physical pain in the body. When you have an emotional experience, especially a traumatic or painful one, the amygdala assigns a part of your body to remember the experience you had until you are ready to deal with it. That is, he says, they can and will cause health malfunctions. Now, again, this is in his book, Healing Oils of the Bible. This means that sounds and smells might not be our only reactions to memories. In other words, disease in the body might also be. Now, let me clarify right here. I said disease in the body or illness in the body might be, might, not certainly is. Okay, so this is another reason I've got those two precursors, those two guidelines I gave you way back at the beginning of this episode. Number two was I don't blame God. Number one is I don't blame the person. An illness or disease, it might be a repressed hurt. It might be, on the other hand, simply a breakdown in the body. So the question is, how do you, if you're praying for someone, or how do I, if I'm praying for someone, how do I know if it is or isn't? You just ask. You ask that question. Okay? You ask the question and you let the person answer. And here's what I found. A lot of the times, it is connected to a thing. I mean, they're tolerating something and they're like, you know, I've been to the doctor and this won't fix. I've addressed it medically with medication and it won't fix. Well, a medication is not going to fix a repressed memory. Or if a medication does fix the repressed memory, the body will just assign another body part to, to malfunction because you've got to deal with that past pain so that you can walk in the purpose for which God has created you. He doesn't want you to be sick, diseased. He doesn't want you to not fulfill the assignment, the incredible reason, the foreordained 
plan for which you are here. And I found this, even if the person forgives the, someone else and that wasn't the issue, oh my goodness, they're better off because they came down for prayer for one thing, the physical issue, but now they've gotten two things. They've gotten physical and they've gotten this relational, spiritual weight that they've been carrying off. And it's still a weight, even if you're unaware that it's a weight, it is still a weight. I'd kind of liken it to this. A couple years ago, it's been more than a couple, it's about eight years ago, I lost 50 pounds. Now, before I lost 50 pounds, I could go run five or six miles. I'd go outside my front door a couple days a week, run five or six miles. I wasn't losing weight because my diet and nutrition did not reflect the health that running reflects. And so the diet was kind of always yanking me, you know, eating a whole box of Oreo white chocolate covered cookies, you know, once a week, whenever they had those in season and when they were out of season, eating a box of snack wells or a bag of chips or three bowls of cereal, you know, honey nut Cheerios with honey, extra honey added on top or two venti white chocolate mochas from Starbucks with caramel added to them and whipped cream while I ate a, they used to have these fritters that were oh so delicious and they got rid of them. I was going there twice a day for that. I mean, it's, an, it's amazing I was not heavier. Now, I would go run five to six miles at my heaviest. When I lost the weight, all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, like I can just speed up and down these hills with so less effort. I was being held back by weight to which I was oblivious. If somebody comes for you for prayer and they're not aware of the forgiveness issue, but then one comes up, oh my goodness, they're walking back freer and they'll feel it even if they were unaware of it on the way up to you. After all, you just asked a question. You didn't make it up. All right, so you simply ask. Here's what I've seen. In the same way, that the check engine light on your car tells you to pop the hood and take a deeper look at your motor, abnormal body function might be, might, and often is a biological equivalent. It's an alert system telling you to stop and deal with some hurt of the past. The systemic malfunction might show up in your heart, the intestines, a joint, a muscle, an organ, or let's just do this. Let's make it very personal. If you, you listening to me right now, have gone to the doctor for a health issue and you couldn't locate a specific underlying cause of the condition, you might, okay, not definitively, you might, notice that word again, you might be suppressing something, might be. So what do you do? You forgive it. You let it go and you see if this is that thing. You don't take blame for it. You don't bear condemnation for it. You think of it no more than you think of the check engine light on your car saying, hey, just don't keep driving this thing. Like you, you got a lot of good miles left. You got a lot of more road time, but the ride is going to be radically better if you pull over, deal with what you got to deal with, 
and then move forward and then keep going. You don't want to keep living uh, the present and the future in light of the past pains that unless you deal with, even if they're repressed, there's still these hidden rules like we talked about in the previous episode that become the grid, the default guideline, whereby you see all kinds of future considerations. If there's a health issue that you can eliminate right now that can be healed and whole, you don't want to bop through life just tolerating something that you could simply release. Nor does the person that's coming to you for prayer. That said, my blessing over you in this episode is that the Lord would bless you, he'd keep you. Be gracious, shine, intense, radical, unmerited yet overwhelming and exponentially peaceful favor to you. May he highlight to you and me right now if there's someone that we need to release. May we affirm that forgiving them doesn't mean that what they did is right. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a cost involved. It doesn't mean that we've got to step back into a solid relationship with them. In fact, it affirms there was a cost, there was hurt. It may even mean that we still are processing something and may even need some help to process it. But may we forgive in the same way that God and Christ forgave us. And as we do that, may you be relationally, emotionally, soul whole, and may you be physically healed. Grace and peace, I'll see you in the next episode.